By rattling snake and bullfrogs croak, the singing robin and jackalope. By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about. Welcome to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell, sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon. I promise you won't regret it. You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin, Bane X Bramble on Instagram. How are you doing, Austin? How's your week been? I'm good. My week has been long. Um, I've been very busy on the pigment formulary. I have other events and projects in the works and coming up and things like that. And I, yeah, I've just been overall busy. How have you been? Wait, wait, tell us more about your pigment formulary. I've seen this on your Instagram, but um, I feel like it might be kind of cool to bring up so listeners can hear about it. Yeah, so it's a, um, it's going to be a two-part workshop uh, that is a part occult art history lesson, part regular art history lesson, but it's also um, more so important than just art history. It's also practical formulary for pigments uh, that correspond to particular planets and metals and acts of magic and things like that. So actually I've been really busy making up all the pigments and getting them all together because I'll be sending them out very soon to the people who um, have ordered the workshops. So just getting that all together, it's been really fun. I think there's like uh, six pigments, two additives, and then, you know, we'll be splitting the the class up into two weeks. Oh, wow. That sounds great. I have not worked with magical inks before, so that sounds like a really cool kind of thing, especially when it comes to uh, building spellcraft. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of coincides with what we're talking about today in terms of talisman and amulet making. So we're going to go over how to make um, the inks in the class, as well as like traditional paints and um, dyes too. Well, that sounds great. Sign me up, geez. (laughs) Um, Well, I just got back from last weekend being in New Orleans for a a class that I was taking on hand-tied hair extensions, which is my day job. But I I have a, a I don't say love-hate relationship with New Orleans because I have a love relationship with New Orleans, but it's got some stinky bits. And I mean that literally. (laughs) It does. I remember the first time I ever went, I was way too young to be drinking as much alcohol as I was. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking down Bourbon Street the first time that I ever went and just the smell, the whole street just smells like vomit. Mm -hmm. And pee, pee and vomit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or or stale sugary mixers like you know when you go to Cancun and you go to the swim up bar and the closer you get you smell like that mixture of a foot and a fart like it's that weird like 
it's just, just it's the mixers that have been sitting there in the sun for too long that sugary sweet like overly ripe rottingness i don't know there's hints of that to just whiff down the down the alleyways i have never been to cancun but i have worked behind a bar before and so that can. yes that is a lovely um smell yeah mm-hmm, mm. mm-hmm. but also uh, new orleans of course has a huge history so I actually loved the bones of the city. I love the freedom of it. I love the folk practices that still exist. I posted about it earlier this week, but I wanted to talk about it because it was super cute. On the, like there's a hook on the inside of our hotel door that has like a, a, a sewn together like bag. And like, I have a picture of it right here. And inside are all these items. And it says, to keep you undisturbed from the prowling Lupe Grea. This is French, so I might be get, get this wrong. Lupe Greo, which means werewolf, um, 13 small objects are inside this bag. The werewolf isn't very smart and can only count to 12. When the werewolf gets to 13, he will be very confused and have to start over. The poor thing will be occupied all night until dawn when it must flee of the day. And I thought that was like, oh my gosh, how many rooms are in this hotel and how many bags did they make to go on the inside, like little charm by the door of every single one of these rooms. That is so cute that they literally give you a, which it ties in, you know, to the French um, colonial folklore that is embedded into uh, New Orleans. And it, it literally is like a charm bag. Granted, it's, a, it's you know, meant to be frivolous and, and gimmicky for the tourists, but I think that's actually like, a folk practice that is is still kind of maybe not necessarily an old folk practice but it, it still lingers from the past and I think that's great oh yeah and there was this huge chunk of citrine in the coffee shop by the hotel to bring business there were saint candles and like I mean like I literally saw little saint candles or little saint statues in certain places and random alleyways like people live this type of lifestyle whether they actually mean to believe in everything they're doing or not it's just part of existing in New Orleans there um, it was really cool it's a very magical city did you get to visit any um, really cool occult shops or anything like that while you were there? Yes, I actually went to several of them. Of course, I went to Marie Laveau's Voodoo Shop, which was awesome. And I did get a book there, uh, Doctoring the Devil by, um, my goodness. He, he also wrote um, uh, Backwards Witchcraft. And now it's like slipping my mind. I'm so dumb. And I also uh, got a couple things, like I got uh, some rue, because I don't have any rue in my garden. I keep hearing, uh, I'm invoking witchcraft. I keep hearing them talk about rue. So I was like, I got to get me some. And I also got some magical soaps. Mm, I saw that you went to Hex. Which I is... went to Hex and Omen, which are sister stores right kind of next to each other. Yes. I So I've been to Hex too. And I think they also have one in um, Salem as well. And Hex, I thought was really cool. Um, because it's a, you know, it's it's specifically geared to traditional or folk folkloric witchcraft, which I find fascinating. They had the best brooms, like besoms there. They had um oh, they were beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Jake Rick Jake, Jake, thank you. Jake Richards wrote uh Backwoods Witchcraft and Doctrine the Devil. So uh, both are by Wiser Books, and um, I'm excited to read it. Um also what I love when I was there, so 
this is kind of funny. I was checking out and I have my hair up in like a big bun and kind of like a flowy top. And one of the girls checking me out was just like, oh my gosh, you remind me of someone. What's his name? He just wrote the new love spell book by for modern witchcraft. And I was like, oh, Michael Herkus. And she goes, yes, just like Michael Herkus. And he goes by the glam witch on, on Instagram. And I've, I'm friends with him on there. So I thought that was so funny. I was like, oh, I love Michael. He's so sweet. And they were like, oh, you know him? And I was like, just online. He's a sweetheart. I just got his new book. And she was like, but it's not even out yet. And I was like, oh, not to brag. <laughs> yes. We just a little, just a little um, back alley handshaking. It's, it's right. It's right. Um, okay. So why don't we get in the subject matter that we're talking about today? Uh, we today are talking about uh, charms, talismans, and amulets. A staple in magic. Like I'm pretty sure, I know, I think we, we all have these like very broad definitions of what these things are, but I'm pretty sure when you're talking about ma like magic in general, a lot of work that you might not even be thinking about is talismanic or amulet, you know, kind of magic or in that vein. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't realize how many times some of these words crossed over, how some of these words are, are generalizations for things that can get broken down into smaller categories. Um, I thought we would at least start by really qualifying the, uh, dictionary term or or encyclopedia britannica term for charm uh so there's a couple different words and or different definitions i thought we should kind of go over which are very interesting of course to charm is the power or quality of giving delight or arousing admiration there's also a charm a small ornament worn on a necklace or bracelet and lastly uh to control or achieve by magic so that is the technical definition of a charm. So we can kind of play within that idea of what that says directly in the, in the dictionary or encyclopedia, and then how we kind of use it in our craft as well. I talk about charms all the time. Charms can be a myriad of things, in my opinion. Yes, they really are a lot of different things. And I know people like to, especially when it comes to like the term charm and amulet, mm -hmm. um, I think they, people typically have like these very hard set definitions about what that is. However, um, they're kind of used very interchangeably. Like for me, I always, like I've always heard like a talisman is to attract something and an amulet is to repel something. But, you know, that's not quite true. Have you ever heard that? No, I was like, I was like, like, oh, I've never heard that before. That's interesting. I wonder if that was someone's personal UPG or if that was something someone taught them. I think it was something somebody taught that. I, I know I've read that. Um, so the definition of an amulet from is uh, an amulet also known as a good luck charm, an object to believe to confer protection upon its possessor. It comes from the word um, amuletum. Uh, which is Latin. And I was also looking up talisman. And of course, funny enough, it said literally under the word talisman, a synonym for the word talisman. How many times can I say the word talisman in one paragraph? Um, was amulet. So an amulet and a talisman technically by definition can be quite interchangeable uh, depending on how you 
you want to use it or maybe even by the culture and which uses one word over the other. Very that, very that. Um, do you, I mean, obviously, I'm pretty sure we both do a lot of um, amulet and talisman magic. So is there anything that you typically do in your craft that you like want to share? Sure. Um, so like if anyone follows me or, or reads a lot of my posts, I say things like make a charm of, and then I'll give a couple different either uh, spirit allies, ingredients, or sigils. And a lot of times what I'm talking about is the generalized magical concept of charming something or creating a charm bag or a, a charmed envelope or even a charmed box or a charmed bottle. Like spell jars are technically a type of charm. It's a container spell. So I make a lot of charm bags. I like charm bags. I feel like they're easy to kind of slip into a purse, a pocket under your mattress, the corners of your home to bury in your yard. So a lot of my charms are either little muslin bags that are just like full of, of sigils, stones, and, and, and herbs, or possibly a piece of fabric that I bundle together and then bound in red or black or white thread, depending on the intention. So uh, just today, I actually posted a, a new episode of the Apothecary Diaries where I talk about vervain. And if you want to take a like a sleeping pillow, like a small little charmed pillow full of lavender and vervain, it can help induce deep sleep and bring sweet dreams as well as banish all nightmares. So that is an example of a type of charm that can be done. I absolutely love the like very Scott Cunningham early 2000s. Like if you look in, I think it's the complete book of Infants, which I haven't read in so long, but I know Yes, yes. As I'm literally hold, up. I'm literally holding up the book right now. I have so many little sticky notes in here. Um, but I remember uh, he had given like several. My favorite, I think, part of the entire book was his like miscellaneous chapter where he was like, "Oh, we'll just throw whatever in here," and um, he had things on like sleep sachets, pillows, things like that. And I love actually. Um, like doing pillows sometimes, especially for uh, like as not really like a good wedding present, but like, you know, you can make it as a wedding present for like, um, you know, just encouraging a good healthy marriage, lots of communication, good dreams and things like that. It's very, you know, frothy and, and glossy and cute. And I, I actually really like doing um, things like that. I have a friend that's getting married soon, and I think you've just inspired a charm that I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them a charm bag. I'm going to make it black with red thread. I'm going to put a carnelian in there. I'm going to put some lusty licorice root, maybe some spicy cinnamon, um, some more lusty ginger, and maybe a sigil for really flaming hot sex. And I'm going to mm. tell them to put it under their marital bed on their honeymoon and just make sure to leave it there all week long to make sure that they enjoy their time away. That sounds really good. I like that. And if anyone needs to rewind this to bring this to their marital or non-marital bed, because, you know, everyone's entitled to good hot sex. <laughs> Abs absolutely. I know um, as well, I I'm pretty sure it was Owen Davies that really kind of like distincts or puts these historical distinctions on like what a charmer is, what a peller is, what a... Um, 
which is, well, that one's pretty, you know, explanatory in its own definition, but like what a cunning person is, wise woman, conjurer, you know, X, Y, Z. So I'm pretty sure when it comes to charming, um, I know we like for charm, typically I use this as both a way to denote like a physical object, but it's also a verbal chant or a verbal prayer or something as well. So with charming, there's a lot of like verbal intention with it. Do you um, notice that a lot throughout history? No, I do. I actually have two books right here. I have The Charmer Salter, or Sh Charmer Salter. I always want to say Salter, like it's a seltzer. The Charmer Seltzer, it's, it's by Truly. There's one by White Claw, and now there's one by Bad Light. <laughs> I'm telling you, this episode needs to be sponsored by Bon & Viv. If you'd like hard seltzer, drink a Bon & Viv. It sounds like it's going to be awful, but it is so good. I have not had Bon & Viv yet. I'm going to check it at the grocery store before I go to the pool today. Um, but I have the Charmer Salter and I also have the Long Lost Friend. The Long Lost Friend has tons of spoken charms. Um, like I'm literally just flipping through and it'll have a few things like uh, to get to be given to cattle against witchcraft. And it's the Seder Square. Just the paper Seder Square, which of course has the, um, the letters written in it. There's also a method of treating a sick cow. And some of these are just, well, there's a lot about cows, but that makes sense for Pennsylvania. I and like, <laughs> I like that the, the, um, the long lost friend is a, firstly, the book by itself is a amulet, like to yes. carry it. It says in the back of the book, like, if you carry this on you, may you be protected from, you know, all sorts of ills. Um, it is a book of American folk magic, particularly, of course, we know, like, in the Dutch Pennsylvania region, but um, it's very big and broad. There's lots of different um, pieces of it that you can uh, put together. So I know, like, Troy Books has its own publication of it, and it's compiled and edited by Jim McGarry, and then there's other ones as well. So um, it's almost like the PGM, where it's, like, compiled into uh, a book, but also there's like so many interesting things. There's like uh, a charm to uh, protect your gun from witchcraft, right? Which I think is, you know, a very interesting, you know, gun magic fascinates me. Um, it's fascinating too, because the more I flip through it, the more you see, this is, this is something you would see and in like an old timey Pellar's house, someone who is a charmer, someone who knows plant medicine, someone who knows Bible verses and Psalms, and also how to make molasses, how to mend broken glass, how to dye green, how to make a dye for red, how to make a dye for, for permanent blue. Like it's a commonplace book, something you might see that has a cookie recipe. <laughs> it might also have um, how to stop a, how to stop bleeding, how to make sure that you get rid of your warts, um, a prayer for starting a journey. And in the back, I opened it up. It does say very clearly in the very last page, whoever carries this book with him is safe from all his enemies, visible or invisible. And whoever has this book with him cannot die without the holy corpse of Jesus Christ, nor drowned in any water, nor burned up in any fire, nor can any unjust sentence be passed upon him. So help me. So help me God. That's right. Um, and so a lot of 
Pennsylvania Power Magic was very Protestant based, very um, Psalm and Jesus based. And uh, it's funny, I would definitely suggest for anyone out there that identifies as a Christian witch, this is a great book to have on hand, especially if you are in a rural area where you are surrounded by more plant life, if, you, if it makes it easier to kind of have something like The Long Lost Friend with you, because as a commonplace book goes, I mean, it obviously helped out a lot of people for a long time. I also think it's uh, really quite adaptable, which, you know, to, to modern times and also to um, urban areas as well. You know, when we speak of like cattle and the home and things like that in a lot of these historical texts, that was a form of currency. Property is a form of currency, right? So a lot of the times, you know, people didn't have the expendable income like we do today, although capitalism, it's not that expendable, but people were very, very poor back then and their, their cows and their chickens and their, um, their property was, uh, their property was um, very important to their, their form of currency. And I mean, you know, you can employ that in your magic too, you know, switch out cow for dollar. Yeah, a lot of these things can be kind of adapted to your, towards your modern day life. I mean, not everyone has cattle or cows or warts they need to get rid of nowadays. We have doctors we can go to. Um, I think these are great things to be used alongside natural modern day medicine. Yes, same. So let's talk about amulets and talismans because I feel like um, we now know what they are like by definition, but what are they actually like in material world? I think one of the most famous one that people mostly know is the evil eye. Um, uh, yeah, the, the Hamza, yeah. Hamza, it's, it's a very famous one. Everyone knows it. The blue glass is famous um, and, and multiple different cultures as well. Um, it's been kind of working its way around the world. I have one on my earring to block any evil eyes my way. Yeah, I, I believe the, um, it started in uh, the Mediterranean, the actual like blue glass Hamza, but then it is a common occurrence throughout uh, the, the entirety of the world, this concept of the evil eye, that your thoughts are not just within you, your thoughts, your actions um, exist outside of the outside of you and impact the world right so if you look upon somebody with jealousy or um you know a fleeting thought of like oh she's such a bitch or something like that you know jealousy envy anger um even if it's a very passing thought right the the concept is, is that you are looking upon somebody with ill manner ill form ill intent i wouldn't even say intent because I, I i think a lot of the times like um evil eye can be kind of passive um mm -hmm. if i'm really trying to give somebody evil eye though i will like you know straight up think of a good nasty curse and i'll like um pull my left eye down with my middle finger and i'll like glare at them like this um it's very that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's if I'm really trying to, to give somebody uh, evil eye, or I'll spit, um, spit a curse on their car, <laughs> literally, like, like a, a spit. spit, but yeah, um, but yeah, you know, that Hamza is something, I mean, I've seen it everywhere, you can find it at any occult shop, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've seen it in, like, a Michael's craft store, so. 
Oh yeah, you can truly find them anywhere. When I was in New Orleans, they were all over the place. They were hanging off of people's doors. They were in wind chimes. They were built into artwork. They were necklaces, earrings, bracelets all over the place. Um, I would have got one myself if I didn't already have my little earring. I try not to overdo it because you know sometimes I don't necessarily. I wear my evil eye, my Hamsa uh, earring, but it's so, so, so tiny. I don't always want someone to know that I have that on me. Um, I do think if you're wearing something that's apotropaic or protective, you may not always want the person that's going to cast something your way. You may not want them to know that, oh, you know what? I'm already prepared, so you can go about your business. Um, it's not going to work. It's not going to do its thing. I'm protected. So I don't kind of wear like big, big ones very much. This is just my personal thing. I mean, if someone were to give me a super gaudy Hamsa or a big blue glass evil eye necklace, I'm not gonna turn that down. That sounds great. But I wouldn't wear it like all the time. You and I have been traveling a lot, um, or not a lot, but we both traveled within the past couple of weeks. Um, I went to Seattle recently. Uh, you went to New Orleans and, you know, I notice, um, you know, I have several methods of protection on me, both like seen and hidden um, that I don't talk about because I always think it's a good idea to have multiple layers of protection um, in different places and different parts of the body and all of this to, you know, kind of keep the tradition alive, you know, when you're traveling, you don't really talk about when you're traveling or at least not how you're going to get there. I know it's really hard not to talk about when you're going to be out of town anymore because, um, you know, we have jobs, we have, you know, people that we have to talk to, but definitely keeping like the methods of how you're getting there kind of hush hush or not disclosing too many inform too much information to the general public i think is a good idea why just in case anybody sends that evil eye on you you know ah. or or um you know if we have any nasty witchcraft practitioners out there like me um you know who knows maybe maybe you just feel the urge to blight a plane one day you never know you never know or a sailing ship um, there are a couple other really great talismans that I saw when I was in New Orleans. Um, uh, crossed iron nails bound together by red thread. It actually gave me a really great idea about making a ring of some kind um, that, that was literally a crossed iron nails as part of a ring um, that could also be thrown into a charm bag for a potropic uh, protection uh, added with a few herbs. And me back to my charm bags again. Uh, crossed nails is a great amulet or or talisman. Do you ever use those? Yeah, when I was in, uh, the last time that I went to New Orleans, I actually had bought um, a set of iron keys and bound them up with red thread as well. Yes. They'd given it to somebody, so. I actually take, I have a little big, I have a big baggie of iron nails that I purchased a while back to, to use in my spellcraft. And I cross them and bound them together in red thread. And then I hang them in my trees outside of my patio. So there's literally one side with the wind, the, the red thread that blows in the wind and the other side that hangs with the crossed nails. So it protects and keeps kind of a negative or unwanted spirits from entering my garden, coming into my space. Um, as well as having, I don't know, this This is just a personal thing, but I wanted to have one that hung with the crossed nails and one string that kind of blew with the wind because I want, I was thinking of it kind of like a, I don't know, 
like that bull with the red cape where it just kind of passes by and then gets blocked from coming past into my personal space. And it just follows that red string and blows on by with the wind. Um, I hung a bunch I, of those out there. I love danglies. Danglies are great. Like danglies to attract spirits or, um, you know, flow the evil eye off of you, you know? I, I think those are, are really good examples. Other examples too, speaking of like blue glass, which I'm sure, you know, you'll notice, um, in New Orleans and a lot of the American South is like witch balls um, or blue blue glass. Um, in New Orleans, uh, I have a friend uh, who had pointed this out to me um, in African-American conjuring voodoo. There's uh, a tradition of painting blue uh, underneath the porches on the ceilings of the porches. And if you go to New Orleans and you walk down the street, you can see that a lot of the ceilings of their porches are painted blue. And this is because it, firstly, it used to be made out of um, copper sulfide, which is highly toxic, <laughs> um, but <laughs> it was also believed that it was going to keep away um, wasps but copper sulfide in um particular traditions is also a bluing agent to keep your whites white again highly toxic we use something else now but it was believed that it also repelled um paints or you know it means haunts so ghosts or evil spirits or um it was just a really good protection to have around so i love walking in new orleans and uh seeing it all the ceilings that are painted blue and are still painted this like gorgeous light baby blue. And you know, actually Jalen Cross talks about in his book, American Brujeria, about laundry bluing and using laundry bluing in some of his spellcraft now. So that is also something you could take a sigil that's about protection. You could take a drop of laundry bluing and put it on there to activate it and then carry that sigil with you in your pocket and between your phone and your phone case. Um, again, another cute little charm. I make my own laundry bluing to keep my, my whites white. And it actually is so good if you like <laughs> little laundry tip to keep your whites <laughs> white. Yeah, no, like a little bit of bleach and then you rinse the bleach out and you get it like a good rinse in some blue anal. And it's just like, oh, wow, it's like you just bought it from the shop again, you know? How fresh. You know what I notice is a really common talisman, but most people don't think about it as one? St. Mm. Christopher, Christopher necklaces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or or just lots of like Saint necklaces. Saint necklaces. In I mostly see Saint Christopher necklaces. It's the most popular one that I see around where at least where I live. Um, I had one when I was growing up, um, and it literally says almost all the time, Saint Christopher protect us. Saint Christopher protect us, and it's always a little talisman of Saint Christopher. And to be perfectly honest, I do not even know a whole lot about the history of Saint Christopher, but I just remember, and I still to this day see it all over the place. Um, my friend, um, Ryan from the Mestizio, uh, Mestizo Mystic, we were actually just having a conversation about the whole event of Atocha um, the other night, which is a child saint um, that is big in a lot of Filipino communities. They're Filipino. And um, we were we were chatting and all of that and they were telling me that they just recently went into a bread shop and they had noticed that you know just up in the left hand corner there was 
a, a statue of the, the holy infant of Atocha. And it was, you know, facing the door, you have it facing the door. So it's just very interesting, you know, all of these different examples of protection or money drawing or things like that, that people have on them. I know people also, you know, they wear crosses, and, you know, when they're feeling nervous, sometimes even the people on the plane when I was flying, um, you know, I, you, typically people will like either cross themselves or hold their cross while the plane takes off, especially in a time when like planes are a little nervous. Definitely. Do you think that mala beads or prayer beads themselves are considered talismans or amulets? I'm sure they can be. I mean, when you're praying rosary, which is a form of prayer bead, um, you know, you're, you're praying a meditation, mm-hmm. but along with that, you're speaking, you know, the, the charm, or I'm not, the, not the charms, the prayers, um, Mary, mother, uh, full of grace, and, and you keep going, I believe, sorry, wasn't raised Catholic. Um, <laughs> so it's okay. I've never prayed the rosary before. I've seen people do it, but I was just curious, is wondering, we're talking about pendants, we're talking about uh, charms, amulets, but technically, is a mala or a rosary bead or prayer beads and at all, are they, cons- I don't, I personally wouldn't necessarily consider them to be amulets or, um, or talismans because they are more of a tool within a meditation or a prayer practice. Uh, but I probably, that's just my personal opinion. I could be wrong there. Someone can totally disagree with me. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think to me, they would be very apotropaic by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know you're technically not supposed to wear rosaries as a form of like jewelry. It is a meditation tool. So Too late. it's not some, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not something that you're supposed to, you know, just wear for the aesthetic, right? So I, I don't know. Growing up, I watched The Craft way too many times. And I'll tell you right now, every single time I saw Nancy wearing a rosary, I bought one more. So I love that she had like 20 of them on. 20. Oh, at least. Of all colors. Yeah. And all lengths, right? So oh, yeah. it just, they all fell so gracefully together, just like click clacking off the, uh, you know, when mm-hmm. she walked and things like that. I was fascinated. I'm like a magpie. Totally. Even she was even walking. Don't forget the time she was floating, all the click clacking when she was floating. <laughs> Dragging her feet. My favorite was when she wore her plaid schoolgirl skirt over her huge Hot Topic gothic dress. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the costumes in that movie was... But I digress. I digress. Let's get back to charms and amulets. Now, one of the really cool things that I think is, is that we're talking about either spoken words as a charm to charm something or or something you hold but then you can because you can charm an item anything could become a charm i have these cute little brass hands that i use as page holders i could definitely use a spoken charm whether that's from a book that's already been written or a charm that i am going to write myself and i could charm these to protect my book of shadows. I could charm these to, um, especially if they correspond with brass or the type of metal that it was, but I could charm these to uh, uh, 
actually, I probably wouldn't term them for much more than protection for my book. They'd make great hair clips. Yes, I could charm these to to protect me as I wear them in my hair. So I'm let me just throw out examples here. A lot of things can be charmed. If you have a favorite pen that you want to write all of your spellcraft in your book of shadows, you could charm that pen to bring inspiration and and uh, clear ink writing stances and uh, things like that. Yeah. I think there's some really interesting examples, especially when you look at grimoireical magic. Mm. Um, talismans and amulets are very, very big deals uh, to the grimoire traditions, particularly like you have the uh, planetary pentacles in the King of Solomon, you have the very famous ring in the Black Pullet, um, you have a bunch of different talismans and amulets in. Um, uh, Le Petit Albert, you have, you know, layman's, planetary squares, sigils, demon names, angel names, uh, this, that, and the other. There's so many amulets and talismans in the grimoires, it's not even funny. Oh, yeah, I have the um, Key of Solomon right here. And it's fascinating because you have all the pinnacles of the planets, and all of them have something that they that they go with so like here is the fifth and last pentacle of mercury this commands the spirits of mercury uh, to open doors in whatever way they may be closed and nothing can encounter or resist it so if you feel like you have a new job opportunity or you're going to go uh, uh, ask for a raise or you are going out into the world and you just want to find a bomb ass hookup, you know, you can carry the uh, fifth and last pinnacle of Mercury to open doorways, to open new doors and new possibilities. Um, you could actually literally put it at your door if you want to make sure that it is open to uh, friends and not foe. So there are a lot of ways that these pentacles or talismans of the planets can be used that way. Right. However, in the book, a lot of the times they're very, very rigorous in the way that they're made, right? So right. Um, I know in the Key of Solomon, um, Key of Solomon's actually relatively accessible. It says that they the the pentacles should be made on, you know, their particular um, planetary metal. Or you could do it on a virgin paper or parchment. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, it does have a little sense of uh, accessibility. I know in the pigment formulary workshop that I'm working on, we have a lot of like variances in text from several different grimoires. Like there are different types of metals they should be made out of for, you know, even the same planet. I think when we think of Mars, we always think of like iron. But there's actually like several different variances in text, which I find very interesting. Um, but, you know, it's good to have these grimoires, I think, for inspiration, because somewhere, especially during like the early modern period where there were cunning people and things like that, there's an intersection between grimoire tradition and like folk tradition. And it's like, okay, well, I don't have you know, an ounce of gold to flatten out and make a gold amulet. So I'm just going to make it in the accessible material that I have. It's not necessarily like 
whatever I think of goes, it's, there's still a system there, but it's just like, I don't have to make it out of gold. I can make it out of paper. I can make it out of parchment. I can make it out of a different solar uh, metal, you know, something like that. And you know, this is where a lot of folk substitutions and folk remedies and crafts kind of start to, they, they do use what they have on hand, but that's also where you start to see locality become important, bioregionalism. You have specific plants that might correspond with that same planetary matter. So um, if you, you know what, I don't have this type of metal that needs to be, but I have this parchment and it's a, it's, a, it's a pentacle of the sun. And you know what, I also have sunflowers growing over here. So maybe I can kind of put together a charm of, of this pentacle on parchment paper and then some sunflowers to kind of bring in more of that um, uh, connection to the sun, that planetary alignment, and then also uh, dandelions. Well, actually, I think, yeah, dandelion is... It's solarly. Yeah, it's solar as well. I think actually dandelion has several different planets that it aligns with, but... As do most planets. As do most <laughs> planets. I'm just thinking there are ways in which that you could take your knowledge of not only substitutions, but your bioregionalism and how you can kind of bring them together in a more folk craft way versus the very, very specific grimoire way. I do know a lot of grimoires were put together in a sort of time period of classism where people that had the ability to work these grimoires exactly as is they had a lot of time and they had a lot of money so not everyone can still do that today and they couldn't back then either yeah um there's lots of different attitudes of classism especially in things like um uh three books of occult philosophy when literally like it's embedded in the name that like you you know, you're a philosopher. So what do you do? Like you sit around and think all day. Mm-hmm. Um, or Key of Solomon literally has like moments in it where it's like, get the boy to do it for you, you know, get the the garçon or whatever. I think a really interesting one, which has a very interesting history is the Black Pullet. Mm, tell me about it. So are you familiar with it? Do you have it? Have you ever read it? I do, it? I have it. And I did read it. Um, I got all the way to the end to where it actually started getting over into the Black Hen. Okay, you know, the the very famous uh, Black Hen that it is so named for. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think we both have uh, the Black Letter Press editions, which are very beautiful. Um, so I was reading the introduction and I was very surprised to learn that uh, the Black Pullet, or its original French name, Le Pouillois, is, um, sorry if I butcher my French to my good French uh, listeners, because um, I did not take French. But, uh, so uh, the Black Pullet is a book that is basically con- entirely plagiarized from another French text uh, by the name of Le Comte du Jabelli ou Entrentance sur licence Cifresse. Um, and that was published uh, in 1670. And it's actually a, like a joke. It's the whole book is a parody about how silly or stupid occultists are and how they sound. And really, this, yeah, it's a big joke about like, you guys sound so crazy and so silly and so stupid. And the, the Black Pullet, 
basically took that entire concept and stole it and re- just republished it as the Black Pullet. And it became relatively popular. It's funny enough, that still didn't stop people from buying the book and actually, you know, practicing the magic that was in it. Very similar to Scott's discovery of witchcraft, um, which is, you know, a big book of like, this is bullshit. Um, I, I don't believe in any of this. These people are just literally standing in circles and, you know, acting crazy. Um, but people would still go out and buy Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft because he wrote everything down in such detail. They were like, cool, thanks. I know you're not supposed to practice this, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take this little book and I'm gonna put it in my back pocket and then I'm gonna go to the woods and we're just gonna see what happens. (laughs) I had no idea. I, I have to admit, so I, when I read The Black Pullet, for anyone who hasn't read this, it's a very, it's actually a very easy read because the majority of the pages are pictures of talismans. And then on the other side will be uh, the invoking words and then the ring that needs to be worn while invoking them. The problem, so okay, I'm just going to be real honest here. This is uh, my salty take on the Black Pullet. Now that I know it's technically a plagiarized version of a somewhat of a parody, I have a little issue with some of the way these things are done. If you've ever, if you've never read it, it's mostly it's a story. The way that it comes across, and it's about this this magician who has all of these spirit servants that he just says a few words and snaps them into existence, and then he has all these rings that go with all of these. Uh, seals or talisman symbols that can be used to conjure up or to do things like uh, this talisman thwarts the designs of all who wish you harm and forces submission of any spirit sent against you place the talisman on a table beneath your left hand and wear the ring on your second finger of your right hand incline your head and say in a deep voice and then it'll say the words that must be said and I mean, if you're a chaos magician, this is kind of right up your alley, because whether you believe in the history of it or not, it, it, it is very direct how-to directions. But it, because the story is built in a way that literally is like, okay, yeah, these just spirit-like beings are going to appear right in front of you, um, they don't. <laughs> it's a very fantastical book. I mean, it's yes, like... If fantasy. You, if, you, if you want to... You know, summon a, you know, a spirit, or if you want to like fly through the air at what do they say? It's like um, three leagues an hour or something like that. Three leagues a minute. I don't know. It's very slow by modern times because we have cars, mm-hmm. which is a little funny. Um, <laughs> a crow pog. Um, you know, you wear this ring and say this this name and things like that. And that's kind of the the point of the joke is that you know, the Black Pullet is a, it's a narrative story about a man who is fighting in some war and he gets attacked and then this magician picks him up and takes care of him. And suddenly this magician is so nice and treats this man like his son. And this is how you work all these amulets and talismans and rings. Um, And yeah, it's just a very fantastical story. I think there is good use out of it, though. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of why I was like, this is actually a dream for a chaos magician, because you you don't have to necessarily believe deeply in 
in the fantasy of the story to use the magic. I mean, look what we do with so many, we, we literally do this with folklore. So there's no reason you couldn't do this with a black pullet. I just love learning the history of where it came from in the first place. Yes, it's a very fantastic one. And then of course, you know, at, at the end, the reason that it's named um, the black hen or the black pullet uh, is because it teaches you, you know, how to make this fantastic or raise a particular chicken that uh, will lay golden eggs. And it's just a very fascinating, fantastical story. Baruch Assault would love that. I want it now. <laughs> so I wanted to also, you know, kind of staying in the same vein of um, grimoireical tradition, because I think they're, like I said, it can be pretty rigorous in terms of like the work that gets put into talismans. I think I kind of sit in two camps of very like, I, I have a system and I have a structure in the ways that I make things or I make charms or talismans and amulets, but I also have um, that very bold side to me that is like very resourceful, which I think it's good to sit in both camps. So I know in, in terms of like the grimoireical tradition, especially things like the Picatrix, um, which is basically just a big astrological magic uh, textbook the goal is to teach you how to make uh, talismans based off of uh, planetary timing. And this is very important to a lot of Abrahamic traditions, especially Judeo-Islam traditions that uh, a lot of Western occultism uh, steals from and, and, and makes for their own. Um, how to cast an electional astrology chart and how to make sure that it, it, for those of you who are not sure what an electional astro astrology is, it is a calculated time uh, using a ephemeris to, which is a, a table of the planetary movements. Uh, it's very mathematical. It's very structured. It is, um, I'm, I'm not a math gay. We all know that. So it's not something that I'm super good at figuring out, but essentially you predict a good time to do something because with um, electional astrology, you, uh, you elect a good time that the planets are going to be at a particular, um, you know, conjunction or, or a particular house or something like that. So it's a little rigorous, but then there's also, you know, this folk astrology that kind of gets embedded, especially in the medieval and early modern uh, times where not a lot of people were educated enough or um, I don't want to make that sound like, oh, those stupid people back then. It's just, there was a lot of like, I have other shit to do. So people started incorporating a lot more like folk astrology into their talismanic magic as well. Instead of figuring out when a good time is um, to cast an electional chart to make this talisman, what we do is instead, you know, we wait around for Thursday when the moon is in its increase and the sun is in Pisces because that's a good time and, you know, things like that. So it's still structured. It's just not as rigorous as- it's mathematical. Right, not as like relying on having like a book of, uh, of ephemera to, you know, reference to. 
I know that I have used uh, astrological timing by focusing on the planetary day and the planetary hour before. Um, that's some. That's probably as rigorous as I'm as I'm most likely going to get when it comes to astrological timing. And for anyone who is listening to this, if you go to the link tree in my bio on Instagram, you will see uh, uh, two links: one for uh, magical days of the week and another uh, sorry three another one for planetary hours and then one for calculating planetary hours literally you just put in the calculations and it spits out the answer for you so you don't have to do all the math and there's if you don't like the one that i have on my link you can just google them because there are so many out there that are wonderful there's so many i am i will admit i i love um to just find it online but sometimes the calculations um i don't always trust them so i do also have a video um or like a little instagram reel that like shows you how to do it but you do have to know the time of sunrise and sunset it's actually pretty easy um for somebody who really hates math it's pretty easy it just looks like a lot of math but it's Mm -hmm. not and if you have a smartphone when you open it up and you go to weather. Oh yes, it will tell you the sunrise. Yes. I believe so. Yes, it tells you sunrise and sunset, the exact time that comes with an iPhone. If you don't have that, just download any weather channel it will tell you. So I know we talked about talismans and amulets, how they're interchangeable, but I think a lot of people when they hear amulet, they think of some sort of like jewelry or some sort of magical stone or some sort of pendant, but an egg corn can be an amulet. A what? An egg corn. What is that? Like from an oak tree, an acorn. Oh, I thought you were saying egg corn. (laughs) You know, okay, so you can't make fun of me. I've said egg corn my whole life. And then I just realized I said it twice and then I had to say it more correctly, acorn. I've literally said egg, E-G-G. C-O-R-N, egg corn. <laughs> I'm so dumb. Um, so, but like actually uh, acorns can be wonderful amulets because they are the magical seed or, or fruit as much as a fruit can be um, of an oak tree. And an oak tree, especially if they're old, large oak trees have extremely deep roots into the ground. They are very, very grounding. They're very magical trees. They're full of wisdom. They're connected to... Um, knowledge, history. Uh, in fact, I think it's Oak Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. I think it is. I think it corresponds to the sun, according yes. to Cunningham or Jupiter. It corresponds to sun. Um, it, cor- it has the powers of protection, health, money, healing, potency, fertility, and luck. So carrying an acorn is a wonderful luck. Uh, it, you might put an acorn under someone's mattress if they're sick and bedridden. Uh, you might put one in a charm bag with a few healing herbs like feverfew, lemon balm, rose petals, or lavender uh, to bring healing to someone who's sick. Uh, you could mix some baby's breath and a few acorns in a charm bag and put it under the bed of a couple looking to conceive. You could bury acorns at the corners of your home or dwelling to add a wall of protection. And no one, a lot of people don't really think about those kind of things. I don't remember where I've heard this before, but I remember a charm bag using acorns or walnuts or chestnuts. I, it was a nut of some kind. Some kind. Um, some kind. 
and you put two in a bag and then you would put it in um, a man's underwear drawer and that was to help with impotency um, because the nuts clearly you know represent testes so I think that's very interesting also but I think a similar charm is used as well by rolling it up in his underwear to keep him from um, uh, cheating, from adultering. Ooh, that's smart. Little chastity spell there for Little you. Chastity spell for you. Um, I have a couple. I one book that I actually I truly love is the complete book of correspondences because there's a whole section uh, or chapter called issues, intentions, and powers. And what's wonderful about it is you can flip to one of the intentions. So throw out a letter and I'll look up one of those letters. C. C. Let's go over to C. We got the E's. We got the D's. Okay, so let's see. Uh, Creativity. So here's a section, creativity. And what I love about it is it gives you moon phases full waning or waxing it gives you zodiac signs it gives you days of the week it gives you elements actually all the elements are connected to creativity and then it also gives you trees herbs uh gemstones minerals plants so this is actually a wonderful book that i like to make my charms with because if i wanted to make a bag a charm bag of creativity and give to someone who whose job is an artist is an author as a hairstylist to need a little bit extra push at work because they're feeling stuck um if you are a witch out there who feels stuck in your craft and you don't know where to move forward and you need that creative jolt a charm bag of creativity would be wonderful and you might make this on a wednesday because it says so right here that it's connected to creativity and Wednesday is also connected to Mercury, which is an adaptability. It's a planet of adaptability. Um, you might use the herbs of carnation, daisy, honeysuckle, and rose together to put together a charm of creativity. You might throw in a gemstone of amber or agate, and you might throw a silver coin in there as well. So. I actually love this book for creating charm bags just because it gives you the opportunity to kind of pick an intention you really want and then a plant spirit or a a a crystal ally or a time period that might work astrologically is wonderful to kind of come together and give you all of those in one setting. So Marshall, do you have any favorite uh, charms, talismans or amulets that you like to use? Um, yeah, oh, I definitely do. Well, of course, I have two earrings in that are I pretty much never take off at all. And one is my Hamsa, the evil eye. And the other one is my little crescent moon. It's always in a crescent, and it's pointing downwards. Um, I don't think it matters that it points downwards for me specifically. But it always wants me to, it keeps me reminded that I am, I am connected. Um, I do really connect with nighttime with the moon, mind you, I'm a, I'm a morning person, but I usually wake up before the sun comes up. So like I, as a witch, really connect with night a lot more. Um, and so the, the crescent moon to me is a sort of a, a patropaic, it's a connection, it's a, it's a mystical and magical symbol. It's a reminder that I carry the magic with me everywhere that I go. Uh, so that's actually something that I wear in my earring. I know a lot of people have seen it in some of my pictures before. 
and I wear those everywhere. What about you? Do you have any magical talismans or amulets that you carry with you? I do. I have several apotropaeuses that I shan't give away because you should never give away your lines of defenses. Um, I do know I have talked about the witch bottle mm-hmm. uh, that I have. Um, so that's an easy one. If you're trying to curse me, get around that one. Is it full of um, your pee? It is full of my pee. Good for you. <laughs> um, and then we also have... Uh, you know, that jawbone that I was wearing um, a lot when I was, when I was traveling, which I, I wear um, during particular times as well. But um, I wore it specifically when I was traveling. And it was so funny, the, um, the flight attendant came up to me and it was so weird because I, I got a lot of compliments on the necklace while I was there because it is this very big, very in your face, um, and I would actually tuck it inside my shirt, but then my chest hair gets caught in the bones and the teeth, uh, and it pulls and it hurts. So I'd rather just wear it outside. Plus it's really cute and aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I would get a lot of compliments on the necklace, but it was so interesting. This, this, uh, flight attendant came up to me and she's like, is that a little, is that a little protection amulet? And I was like, ah! I feel seen. Um, you were seen. I was seen. It was really cute. It was cute. But um, yeah, that that's an amulet that I have, an apotropaic amulet. Um, so it's very, very dear to me. I have uh, made that myself and, and you know, gathered the bones myself. And like that. You know, tarot cards can be amulets as well. I don't know if you've thought about this or if anyone listening has considered this before. Um, but tarot cards themselves, especially if we're thinking, I mean, I would, I would mostly focus on the major arcana, but I mean, even, even the minor arcana has a lot of different ways that they can be used as amulets. If you are, I know a lot of people that, ha- not a lot of people, but some people have taken the wheel of fortune to go gambling. <laughs> literally, they're taking it very literal. I know um, people have taken the judgment card to court cases to help them win the, to get the advantage. I should say here that if you are in the wrong of this court case, I don't expect the tarot card to help you very much because it's for justice. Oh, oh my gosh. Justice, not judgment. What am I talking about? Oh, <laughs> What's that? Uh, nothing. I, I, I found that funny. Uh, people do similar things with sync cards as yes. well. Um, I know I have a uh, Amparo, right? Which is a... I believe it's an Italian charm, but I know it gets used a lot in, in um, Italian-American folk magic. It's essentially where you take like St. Michael cards and two St. Michael cards and you sandwich together a couple things and you sew them up mm-hmm. um, so that the St. Michael is facing outwards, right? So it's the, the idea is that he's always watching your back from both sides. And um there was this, I was like, oh, I want to give these out as a Christmas present to friends this past or this coming Christmas. And I have, um, I, I found a website that is giving away like St. Michael prayer cards for free. You just pay for shipping. And it is like, I mean, I'm talking probably like a thousand prayer cards. Wow. And it is to, um, 
Ironically, St. Michael is also a patron of police officers, which um, I think everyone knows my opinion on. Um, and it's so funny to take from this company who's giving them away because I'm just a mean old person and I wanted to take these, uh, you know, for freebies. And I literally have probably um, a, a bunch of uh, am, uh, not Amparo's, but I have a bunch of prayer cards just like sitting somewhere because I had, I was like, yeah, I need like a thousand. Of these. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, you could definitely do that same sort of thing with, um, with tarot cards, with playing cards. I know people who use cardamancy with playing cards, cards having very specific meaning. Uh, those could be used in charm bags or sewn together with herbs or, or, other types of prayers in between. Um, I saw one that was really, really cute. I think it was it was it via Hedera that what made the mouse envelope, the mouse letter charm. Yeah, that comes from um, a little bit of folk magic that I know she's she's talked about before, where people to like get rid of their minds would actually write them letters. Yes, like eviction notices. Yes, like you have to leave my house go somewhere else, especially if like, you didn't like the other person. So you'd be like, oh, go to her house. Her house is open. Um, <laughs> Could you imagine sending mice to your enemy's home? I would live. And that, that sounds wonderful. Wonderful little charm there. I I don't think, I, I don't know if she made the cards. I think it was another artist, but I know she showed the cards and explained the folklore, but they were just like these really beautiful, really darling, like oh, beautiful like hand uh illustrated letters to these mice to to you know get rid of the the mice in your house and i think that was so cute i um learned a couple things that i i love from temperance alden who wrote year of the witch in about uh, land spirits and working with land spirits and the letter to the mice actually reminded me of the idea of a charm that I created. Um, it's to the oak. I have a huge oak tree at the corner of where I live. And so I created a charm where I write a specific petition and I bury it at the foot of the oak and I give it an offering of milk and honey. And then I say a specific incantation over it. And then I take a fallen egg corn to be a, a memento or a keepsake from that charm. And I carry that eggcorn with me until the petition has come to fruition. So that's like a way in which one can, can involve more of their land spirits, especially ones like oak or, or sycamore or alder. I know sycamore, the bark of it is kind of funny because it like sheds in these big sheets. And then you can actually write uh, prayers or charms or incantations on this bark and then burn it in a fire if you're using safety measures, of course. And that could be a petition to uh, invoke or sorry, evoke the power of the sycamore to help you in that action to help with using land spirits. Yes, we do love practicing good fire safety. Yes, good fire safety is good. I survived the burning times. <laughs> We're the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn. Oh my Beth. god. <laughs> the scar's looking pretty good too. Though. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of, how is that? It's pretty good. I'm telling you, my little uh, healing oil has done wonders. 
so it's it is scarred though right i mean there will be some scarring you can kind of see some discoloration especially on the bottom the top i mean it was a deep second almost third degree burn so there's gonna be some discoloration there but i mean that would have happened on like beltane so it hasn't even been a full year yet we'll see it's kind of hot it's very like devil made martial i'm thinking of getting a tattoo over it that's kissed by fire and a runic script <laughs> well or maybe like danced with fire or like um the devil's kiss i don't know something fun like that will you get a little um devil with a cute butt on it please is this my witch's mark that is your witch's mark make that's, a pact that's my witch's mark i mean i was naked when i was doing it so i guess i was already like right there okay we we are settled <laughs> Well, I do believe that is all that we have today. That sounds great to me. Do you have any last words before we go? Any last favorite charms you want to throw out to anyone listening? Carrying a dollar coin in your right shoe um, is always, is really cute. I like that. Um, Like a silver dollar. Mm -hmm. I think, never underestimate the power of a good holy cross um i think that's all that i can think of at present moment i have one last one that i want to give for people on a budget yes because i'm always in a budget so i need those budget tips um if you get yourself some thread yarn or like embroidery thread is my favorite one you actually taught me this one not the charm just using embroidery thread so i got a huge spool of red embroidery thread and i will get a few strands of it usually like nine strands or or six strands so i'm kind of bundling probably three for each for each woven strand and i create a braid and i will literally go on my patio i will create a little knot i'll hook it to one of my plant like sticks like i'll clip it on there and then as i'm sitting there under the full moon i will state my intention as i am braiding this embroidery thread. I will keep braiding and braiding it and I will say over and over and over again what it is, whether it's something simple or more involved. Um, I think I literally said something like, weave it right, weave it well, weave my will into the spell, weave it right, weave it well, weave my will into the spell. And I said it so many times that my words were coming out like jumbled mush. And it was kind of a trance state that I was creating under the full moon on my patio in my garden as I was weaving this and putting my intention in there while thinking protection, protection, protection from wrongdoing, protection from evil spirits. And I did attach my, my, uh, mercury dime to it but i tied it around my ankle and now i have a a type of charmed braid and that kind of goes into knot work i know a lot of knot work was done with with hair with thread with hemp with string with rope uh it's a wonderful easy folk charm that one can do and i mean this is kind of things that we did in summer camp we just didn't realize we had the opportunity to put intention in there as well i do love a good bit of uh, braiding and not magic. I do too, absolutely. Especially if you want to go so far as to braid hair in there, especially if you are um, working in love magic with your partner or whatnot, or you want to uh, bring protection to someone else outside of yourself. Uh, you can take it on a waxing or full moon and do the same sort of thing that you want to send protection to a certain person or anything else you might want to send them. <laughs> 
thank you for listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin at Bain X Bramble. Thank you.